Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to Trailer Talk, Cinematic Doctrine's semi-monthly segment in which we discuss some trailers that have released over the previous month. October started out with some killer trailers, and we've picked what we feel are the best ones to talk about in this episode. To kick things off, Carter and I talk about Monster Hunter, and how this is not the first Capcom licensed property to hit the big screen from director Paul W.S. Anderson, nor starring Mila Jovovich. And frankly, we don't think it will be the last. Even so, we have a good time chatting about our reserved thoughts on Monster Hunter, whether we even like big monster movies to begin with, and if fans of the video game will even be satisfied with this movie. Then we talk about David Fincher's upcoming Netflix feature, Mank. Carter grounds us on what to expect with Fincher's latest picture and carries us into 1930s Hollywood and the creation of what many consider cinema's greatest achievement, Citizen Kane. This sparks a really interesting discussion regarding Netflix's annual bid for the Oscars, how their pursuit of big-name directors is a sign of a changing corporate culture at Netflix, and how both of us pretty much agree that Mank will probably turn out great. And finally, we chat Jiu-Jitsu, an upcoming less-than-B-grade martial arts pick featuring Nicolas Cage. I asked Daniel to introduce us to Jiu-Jitsu with a brief call-in, so look forward to hearing everyone's favorite WWE fan and his infectious excitement. Then Carter and I take the mantle as we discuss the joy of candy-style movies, where just from the trailer you know what you're going to get. And if things pay off, well, Jiu-Jitsu is going to be a great time. Then we decide on which of these projects we're most excited for, so stick around to the end to hear where we land. If you enjoy the show, you can always stop by the Cinematic Doctrine Patreon and show your support with $3 monthly donations. It doesn't seem like much, but it really does help us out when upgrading equipment and producing more content. If you support the show through Patreon, you'll also gain access to some sick perks like voting on a movie we discuss at the end of each month, as well as exclusive access to the pre-show, a special show that's a bit more freeform with general Christian film or personal discussions. You can also catch Cinematic Doctrine on social media, Twitter, Facebook, wherever, or Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook group, which is definitely the place to be if you want to chat movies and Christianity with other like-minded Christians. And don't be afraid to leave us a review and give us your unfiltered thoughts on the show. We'd love to hear what you have to say. And lastly, you can check CinematicDoctrine.com for written editorials and think pieces, as well as brief thoughts and trailers when they come out. All this will be available in the show notes. Without further ado, let's talk some trailers. A lot of pretty interesting trailers coming from October. What do you think, Carter? Just with everything that's go been going on and, and just the lack of uh, movies, I, I would say the same. I mean, there's it's interesting to see, um, in spite of you know big 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 studios kind of evacuating 2020, that we're still we we still got some interesting trailers to talk about, especially one titled jujitsu which i can't wait to talk about oh my about. goodness oh my goodness yeah and uh anybody who's excited just by the name alone you're gonna just have to wait till the end that's the last trailer we're getting into <laughs> but it is not the least we can tell you that yeah i was thinking the same thing that like there were a lot of really interesting trailers especially from streaming sites but uh even like movies that want to be in theaters we're getting their trailers dropped this month. And it was really interesting because this month was sort of the nail in the coffin for theaters from, from a lot of what's been going on. It sounds like it sounds like anybody who decided they were going to have a trailer drop this month and then it was going to say something like out December 
had to quickly go edit and realize, all right, if we have this trailer still come out this month, we got to say like out 2021, which uh, any listeners will recognize that if we do talk about um, a movie, actually, we will be talking about a movie that wants to be out in theaters. We're just going to kind of mention that it may come out in theaters this year, but we're not going to give any dates because I think it was three days after we put up the last trailer talk, which had Dune in it the date changed for dune by a whole year so <laughs> and we even talked about it in in that we were like is is this gonna make it you know and i think <laughs> i think yeah i, I think you have two uh, two fronts here right you have obviously the streaming movies and, and those trailers those are gonna come out either way you know the yeah. manks of the world the the hillbilly elegies of the world that stuff but when it comes to you know these these uh theatrical offerings from decent mid to large studios I think they're really just banking on if they are coming out in December, they're banking on the release of Wonder Woman, which yeah. is is a whole other topic that we can uh, you know, that we can get into um in monthly movie news, but I I just think that, you know, there's a lot going on and and people are really, you know, studios are really hoping that Wonder Woman can can succeed where Tenet did it and and bring people back to the 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 movies and and hopefully while they're seeing Wonder Woman they see that hey, there's this you know, Monster Hunter movie, or there's this other movie with uh, Nicolas Cage in it. That's, that's right. Out, you know, yeah, giving giving options basically mm-hmm. to see like, okay, if people if people break the ice with Wonder Woman, they'll go. You know, I really miss this. Maybe I'll give it another try. But that's all within all within reason, considering I think we're recording right during the what some people have called the third wave of coronavirus. Anyways, we're not here to talk about coronavirus though. Insofar as cases are concerned we're here to talk about how these movies look pretty cool but might not even come out this year so keep your hopes up boys (laughs) why don't i introduce you guys to monster hunter this uh this latest trailer uh based upon a property that um some of you might recognize monster hunter written and directed by paul ws anderson and featuring you guessed it mila jovovich monster hunter is the latest attempt at another big gaming franchise moving onto the big screen Both names I mentioned should sound really familiar, as well as their partnership in executing a film version of a beloved gaming franchise, because these two have made several Resident Evil movies together. Cinephiles and gamers agree that they're really bad. I mean, my goodness, they are not. They're just not good. And even as they try so, so hard to be good, they're not good. They're just bad. But I don't like to dog on movies that aren't out yet, and I especially don't enjoy presuming that something is going to be bad just because of experience. I know it's fun to hate things, but it's so much nicer to be surprised by goodness than it is disappointed by badness. I don't know if that makes sense. Anyways, whatever. Let me explain Monster Hunter. Basically, from what we can snag from the trailer, Mila Jovovich and her team are either military or paramilitary, and they accidentally find a portal to some other world or dimension. We're treated to a scene where a Humvee careens into a massive desert land where soon after being transported, a giant dragon-like reptilian creature appears to fight our unlucky heroes. There's a ton of other moments within the trailer where characters are seen fighting more giant beasts, a couple landscape shots of heavy CGI manipulated fantasy worlds and biomes, all in the hopes of building excitement and wonder for what happens within Monster Hunter. Two key details to note about Monster Hunter are, first, this movie, as mentioned, is based off a video game franchise of the same name. It's important to note that Monster Hunter as a property isn't necessarily known for good storytelling or compelling characters. 
Monster Hunter is a game built around farming material for loot from giant creatures in long, arduous, team-based combat. Monster Hunters team up to find monsters to hunt them and can attack different parts of the monster's body to get different loot. And a lot of teamwork is involved to ensure those long battles, which can be very long, result in each player farming out the loot they need to build better gear and fight other monsters. In other words, what makes Monster Hunter fun as a property is the cooperative, exploitative, exciting nature of its gameplay. Or frankly, I could have just, just said gameplay. Second, that this movie has a budget of $60 million and most CGI monster fests run over $150 million. So think Pacific Rim or Godzilla King of the Monsters, which, by the way, are two movies that were barely profitable, if at all. Basically, this just means that the CGI monsters may not look all that great. In fact, if you slow down the trailer like I did, because I had to snag some still frames for the website, you'll notice the monsters kind of look unfinished. Granted, it is a trailer, so that's not really abnormal. But first things first, Carter, have we? I think we need to at least dictate whether or not we've played a Monster Hunter game or if we're even much for video games at all. Um, I'll say real briefly, I've played like one Monster Hunter for like a couple minutes but i didn't really have any friends to play it with so i didn't keep playing it and i uh, but apart from that i do play a lot of video games so i have that how, how about you you know melvin i'd like to be a, a big video game guy because i think there's a lot of good stuff out there i just don't have the time currently but one game that i do remember pr- playing with my brother was and you can correct me if i'm wrong if this is not the name but i believe it was called shadows or shadow of the colossus oh okay yeah i know have yeah. you heard about that one yeah the interesting thing with uh shadow of the colossus was you know it, it took this kind of bare bones uh plot which is kind of what you see here with monster hunter and it kind of gave it this very ele- elegiac or mystical vibe to it it was it was very interesting it was almost like every time you killed one of these at one part at one point disgusting but also kind of beautiful giants there's a a part of you that's like oh awesome you know i get to harvest this or you know add a notch in my belt but at the same time there's a kind of a beautiful aspect to that and that i I think you know when you juxtapose that game with (laughs) what we have here which is very much, it seems like it's a game that was just meant for thirteen-year-old uh, boys, you know. And, and and Melvin, you had mentioned how you know you don't like to presume that a movie's going to be bad. I do, and this movie <laughs> looks really bad. And I think that the fact that this uh, is based off of a game that's probably for thirteen-year-olds too. Um, nothing against that. I mean, those games can be fun. You probably just made a lot of Monster Hunter fans really mad. <laughs> I probably did. I probably did. And and, and in re- all reality, I'm I'm kind of. Uh, playing out of my league because i really like i said i'm not the biggest gamer but just from the trailer it looked like a mixture of mad max fury road and godzilla king of the monsters all the worst aspects of godzilla king of the monsters of which there are several very very many which you know and you had mentioned how you know other monster movies have struggled in the past um, and and this one i i'm not sure who greenlit this even at 60 million dollars because you know, like you said, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Pacific Rim were barely profitable, if if at all. Um, I know Godzilla and Kong Skull Island, which I also got Kong Skull Island vibes here, just because of the many monsters. Those were profitable. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see where monster movies are. And I'm just curious to, to see who would have greenlit this movie in this time, too, for $60 million. I mean, it's 
cheap compared to other blockbusters, but that's still a, yeah. a hearty amount that you need to make back. So what, what were your thoughts, Melvin, on, on that? Am, am I way off on that comparison? <laughs> well, I'll... I'll defend fans of Monster Hunter. It is the game would frustrate, I think, a lot of 13 year olds if they were approaching it with the mentality that we often ascribe to or prescribe to 13 year olds when we make jokes about like, that's a movie 13 year olds like Monster Hunter can be really compelling. Like the so one example of the gameplay is that you're kind of like Shadow of Colossus. You are climbing on creatures and there are certain forms of loot and materials you get based on what part of the body of the creature you climb on and then try to like harvest from it. It's really interesting. I I have a friend who loves Monster Hunter and I've watched him play a lot. And I mean, watching him would get me excited because it's, it's, it's a very, it really encourages cooperation. Now, the reason I brought that up though in my thing is that like, it's the game is about the gameplay and it's about the co- making basically stories with each other, like with your friends. And movies don't do that. <laughs> movies are like a <laughs> dictated story. You don't walk in with all your friends and step away with something different unless it's like a Tarkovsky or something so it's like it's not like this movie's I'm, I'm not expecting this movie to be so vague and yet engaging and enriching that people walk into the theater and have differing opinions on it so I, look all, all that to say is I, I'm here to defend you Monster Hunter fans uh, Monster Hunter World is a game I'd like to play but I just don't have the time it looks really cool but uh, I'm here for you bro these Second, I was thinking that like you're talking about $60 million, who greenlit this, all that jazz. I really think that this is Sony. So I can't remember if Sony did the Resident Evil movies, but I know that Mila Jovovich and they did. Paul W.S. Anderson. Okay, they did. So the, yep. the team of them, Sony, Paul W.S. Anderson, and then Mila Jovovich coming back together to do another Capcom game property, because again, this is another Capcom game. And try and do the Resident Evil thing again. Because even though those movies are kind of a disaster that some people just love to watch, they were stupid profitable. <laughs> um, but I think the 60 million is to see like, can we test the waters? Can we make another franchise out of this? I don't know if that's possible. I know Monster Hunter World is very popular and very big. I know on Xbox Game Pass, I'm going to talk a little Greek here to cinephiles, I guess, but on Xbox Xbox Game Pass, which is a subscription service you can use to pay $15 a month and get access to hundreds of games uh, for free. I mean, they say for free, but it's through subscription. Monster Hunter World is one of the games you can get, including the DLC. And so it's and it's like one of the highest rated ones on it, if not one of the best games, I think that a lot of people say is their favorite from the last two or three years. So all that to say is like, even though it's hugely popular, like, like Resident Evil, I feel like was a huge deal. I wasn't around at the time when Resident Evil, the game, the first game came out, I guess, because I was a babber or I wasn't even conceived yet. But from what I've experienced of Resident Evil as I even grew up, it seemed like everybody knew about it. And so for there to be movies only made sense because people were like, hey, that's a thing I kind of know. And then they go see it and they're like, well, that's not very good. And then they move on with their life. But like Monster Hunter, I there's a lot of people I know that are like, what's that? And then they see the trailer and they're like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> so, I mean, you were just like that. You're like, well, I don't want to see that. <laughs> so, do, do you think that, OK, you know, we're talking about a hardcore Monster Hunter fan. 
you know, which I, I, I can see there probably are a lot. I, like yeah. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm not one with the video Over game 13 world. years, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Over 13 year old. Do you really think that they want the, an adaption of this movie, of this game, which they love, to be directed by Paul W.S. Anderson with Mila Jovovich? <laughs> I don't know, man. Every time I see that. I that, agree. That I don't know combo, either. It's just, it, it just says something about the movie. It just says something about the product. You know, we're not talking about Paul Thomas Anderson. We're, we're talking about Paul W.S. W.S. Anderson. Anderson. Yeah. No, I. <laughs> That's a whole different brand. It's <laughs> so true. It's the um, it's the Alien versus Predator brand, <laughs> yeah. I, which I mean, that is a fun popcorn flick. I don't know why, but I could just put it on and watch it. I'm in a couple like gaming groups online. And when I shared the trailer, because at the time I was just sort of researching and, and writing my piece on the website, remember, go to cinematicdoctrine.com and you can see all this stuff ahead of time. We write about stuff and trailers are included. There you go. It seemed like people were kind of interested. And one person said like, hey, that looks really cool. And then like some other people who are like, please, please, Lord, what did we do <laughs> to deserve Lord, this? No. And it's like, <laughs> I think so. In the show notes, I put down a, a note that said, are we excited for another big monster flick or has society moved past the need for big monster flicks? I really do like big monster flicks. I think there's fun to them. I think like if you're going to see something on the big screen, I want to see something big on the big screen. So like I don't really need to see a rom-com on the big screen because I don't really know how the big screen is going to enhance that. But seeing giant monsters on the big screen will be enhanced. Uh, so I think, so I, I guess there's theme park rides. That's pretty cool um, to quote Martin Scorsese on Marvel movies. <laughs> um, theme park rides are neat. So I'm not going to complain there, but I will say that I like my big monster movies to have a bit more substance. So my first thought is like Shin Godzilla or even just the first Godzilla movie, frankly, where like both films are used to commentate on like cultural fears that are bigger than themselves because that's the whole point <laughs> i mean the initial godzilla film is a giant nuclear creature that causes devastation and leaves and not only does it like leave devastation in a way in its wake it leaves radiation that kills people and gives them cancer hmm i wonder what that's talking about i wonder what that japanese giant <laughs> monster movie is talking about and like i think that movie released in 1954 so it was like Less than a decade since the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So, like, it's very clearly using the giant monster to make a point. Will Monster Hunter do the same? No, it won't. <laughs> it won't. No, man, I, I love how you mentioned the need because it's like, you know, do we need any movie? No, but I think there is, I think there is a need for movies that feature two big monsters just beating the crap out of each other. I mean, there's there's something primal in in us and especially in American culture where it's like, and especially with everything going on, sometimes you just need a movie where two big monsters are just going at it. Or there's, oh, yeah. you know, humans fighting monsters, you know, just beating the crap out of each other. I think- Love it. That's, uh, I think it is needed at the end of the day. And so <laughs> that's why so, something like this, and I'm with you, I'm a big uh, monster movie fan. For some reason, I think it just taps into that primal- love for those things. I've always loved big monster movies. And, you know, I've been really excited for Kong versus Godzilla. And I think that oh, yeah. that's the kind of monster movie I can get really excited for, even though, is it, I mean, is it going to be a great movie? Probably not. But to see Kong and Godzilla go against each other, you know, 
in their prime in, in with today's updated technology, that's going to be really cool to see. And I think mm -hmm. those kind of movies, they have the necessary budget to bring that to life. Where something like Monster Hunter, you know, you mentioned you can kind of see the seams. It, it, you, it's kind of falling apart at the seams already just because $60 million is not enough money to make these creatures look realistic. So, you know, what are your thoughts, Melvin, on, I guess, that idea of like, to make a good monster movie, you need a big budget. Is that something you subscribe to? And, and specifically with, uh, you know, and I'm talking like large monsters, like the size of yeah, yeah, these yeah. from Monster Hunter, Godzilla. Like, what are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, not like a creature feature. I understand. Exactly. I think, yeah, it does need a big... Uh, well, uh, okay, I'll say this. Um, there are There are people who can have giant monsters type movies on a low budget and they can work. So the movie Monsters is a perfect example of this. Mm -hmm. um, I forget who directed it. Gareth? Gareth Not Edwards. Gareth, is it Gareth Edwards? Because there's yep. Gareth Edwards and then the other guy who who's also named Gareth who did the Raid movies. And I always mix them up. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I'm with you, man. Gareth Edwards did Monsters and, and the first Godzilla. And then... Um, Gareth Evans did the Raid movie. Gareth Evans, that's right. He's the other guy. So not Gareth Evans, Gareth Edwards. He made <laughs> Monsters, and that's a giant monster movie on a very low budget, and it's very good. Now, it's really more of a, a survivalist drama, but that's kind of the, the point. It's like he, it, it uses giant monsters in, in a way that functions well, and it's also a, pr a pretty frightening movie and then he of course goes on to do godzilla and i i think that's a really i think that's a great horror movie that has giant monsters in it which is always strange because a giant monster movie you don't really think of as horror movies but then like you watch godzilla 2014 and the way he approaches that movie is very frightening yeah you, and you know you mentioned that 2014 godzilla which i i actually really enjoy you know people were really hard on it but it, it oh, reminded yeah. me a lot of jaws i don't i I, I don't know if you, you saw this connection, but when I was watching it, I was like, because I, I really thought it, it reminded me of Jaws in the way that when you when you watch Jaws, the first one from Steven Spielberg, you know, Bruce the shark doesn't show up for much of the movie. Right. Um, and, and that was due to a lot of behind the scenes issues with the shark itself. Oh, yes. <laughs> which is yeah. a whole a whole other podcast. But I think that the, the way that Gareth Edwards kind of held Godzilla back. You know, you only saw glimpses of him until the, the, a pretty glorious finale. Mm -hmm. it, it, you know, it kind of made that finale that much more special where Godzilla King of the Monsters, that magic was gone. Maybe maybe it was because it was the second one, but also I think Dougherty, who directed that, Michael Dougherty, wasn't as talented as Gareth Edwards. And, you know, it, I think the movie suffered because it you just see Godzilla throughout and it's just like, oh, here's another Godzilla scene. Like it, it lost kind of the majesty of the first one. In that way that, you know, Jaws is, it's frightening to see that, that shark because it's, you don't see him that often. And in the same way with Godzilla, there was a, uh, just a massive scale to his character. And it is also important to mention that the script for King of the Monsters is just terrible. That is a, <laughs> such a, such a bad movie. I mean, it is so brain dead. Um, it's fun to watch giant monsters. I agree, but that movie was such a snooze fest. And you know what's funny is my um, my friend went to an IMAX screening of that movie, and he would fall asleep between the conversations just for the fights. But then he had realized that he was sleeping through fights too. And like this is genuine. He was like he was hyped for this movie for months on end, and was talking to me about it and wanted to go with me. And then it just we couldn't get our schedules together. 
And then he goes and he's like, dude, I slept through all of it. And I'm like, even the fights? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was so boring. So I guess that's the litmus test, guys. If he goes to see a Monster Hunter, assuming it comes out anytime soon and doesn't get pushed back, I'll ask him. I'll say, hey, buddy, did you fall asleep to Monster Hunter? And if he says, what's Monster <laughs> Hunter? Then I guess it's just not going to be not in the cards. <laughs> so... I, I just don't see any way. I, I don't see any way that this film makes its money back unless it sells it off to some kind of streaming service. Uh, I just, especially in today's landscape, I don't, I don't see a sixty million dollar monster movie making its money back. But we'll see. It could. I'll say that. But that's all I got. <laughs> so next up, Melvin, uh, we're talking about Mank, David Fincher's newest film, and this movie, you know. We're, we're talking about two other movies here. We talked about Monster Hunter. We'll talk about another one after this. But this is the movie that we know for sure is coming out this year because it's yes. from Netflix. <laughs> you know, at least we can we can put our hope in that, that, hey, we will be seeing a new David Fincher film uh, called titled Mank coming out this year because it's with Netflix. And so uh, whether theaters are open or not, it'll be coming out. It's really a, a kaleidoscopic look at 30s Hollywood um, and Fincher's first outing first film outing since 2014's gone girl fincher for for those who don't know he directed classics like fight club seven zodiac the social network he's one of the modern mount rushmore guys you know kind of up there with a tarantino with a paul thomas anderson and his latest is based on a script written by his dad jack fincher who has received sole writing credit um he wrote it before his passing in 2003 and it follows a an alcoholic screenwriter named Herman J. Mankiewicz, who actually the, the Mankiewicz family goes really deep in Hollywood. They have his his brother. Why am I forgetting his name? His brother directed All About Eve, um, the nineteen fifty, oh, okay. I believe, yeah. Best Picture winner. And then their other brother or or nephew was he was a production guy in films, and now actually. I believe it's his grandson, uh, Ben Mankiewicz, is, plays a big part with TCM. So He's Turner the TCM Classic guy. Movies. Yeah, I was like, this name sounds so familiar. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Mankiewicz is a very famous Hollywood name. These these guys have been all, all over classic cinema. And so uh, Herman J. Mankiewicz, again, an alcoholic screenwriter, is played by the inimitable Gary Oldman as he pens the script for what will be Citizen Kane. Um, he's brought on by Orson Welles to write a script uh, and, and, and a not-so-subtle script about the very much alive at the time newspaper magnate and, and uh, media baron William Randolph Hearst. Citizen Kane, for most of those who are listening, that's seen as the crowning jewel of director Orson Welles' from filmography and is frequently cited as the greatest film of all time. I personally have to dis disagree on that one. But it's, it really is a game-changing piece of cinema that places even those who have a lukewarm reaction to it, like myself, in a corner where we can't help but reckon with its monstrous impact that it's had on the industry. And so with Mank, David, I think David Fincher is looking to kind of present a different side of the story and, and, and of the making behind Citizen Kane, potentially highlight, highlighting the true genius behind the scenes, and that being Herman Mankiewicz or, or Mank for short, instead of uh, Orson Welles. So it's really this fascinating conceit that had me hooked from the beginning and also Fincher's first movie uh, in six years since, since Gone Girl. So, yeah, in a while, yeah. And, you know, one thing that's interesting about this movie is it was shot to look like and sound like a movie from the 30s. 
There's a degraded film filter layered over the visuals tied in with a uh, mononeural audio that kind of marked the, the movies of that era. It, it really has the effect of looking like Mank was unearthed and completely preserved since the 1930s to only now bless an audience with its presence. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, it looks like it's from the 30s in that way. And so two, two big things with this one. This is Netflix. Netflix's Oscar frontrunner. It could be their first Best Picture winner. We'll see. Um, and it's also a big catnip for for cinephiles like you and me, Melvin. And I, I know, yeah, you know, this is probably probably besides Tenet, probably just cinephiles' most anticipated movie that's that's stayed in the 2020 release calendar. And you know, Hollywood movies are pretty popular these days too. After uh, Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so really excited to dig into this one, Melvin. What's your relationship like with David Fincher? And tell me, have you, you know, is he one of your favorite directors, or are you kind of kind of agnostic to him so i just i just made a face that no one will see uh because i i have just i've done david fincher so wrong by keeping him on my my list on netflix and not just watching his stuff yet i saw um i saw fight club years ago as all young male teenagers do and uh, it's a rite so, of passage for yeah, young yeah. testosterone fueled males. That's a movie 13 year olds like. There you go. <laughs> yeah. That's something 13 year olds like. So I, I, but I like social network. I know I'm going to like it. I know I'm going to like it. It's just, I haven't watched it yet. Um, seven. I know I'm going to like it. I just haven't watched it yet. So, so I've been doing them wrong. I really need to just do it already. So I, that, that, that time may be coming up with Mank. And I like, I like who he works with. I like Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, and I love the the stuff they put out. So it's like I'm I'm gonna like Fincher's movies. I just haven't watched them, so I'm sorry, Carter. I know you like them a lot, so I'm letting you down too. <laughs> you're you're only hurting yourself, Melvin. It's it's really something that I mean. I'm almost jealous of you because seeing something like the social network, because I get to watch them for the first time, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and I, I, the quick order that I would give you, I would tell you to watch the social network first, check out seven after that, which, you know, your, your horror, your love for horror, I think is really going to amplify that, that screening for you because it's not necessarily a horror movie, but you know, if you like the vibes of the, most recent Batman trailer. Uh, Batman is really just copying Fincher there. I mean, it looks like seven just with Batman. And so uh, really gruesome serial killer mo- a movie. And I think you would like Zodiac too. I think all at least two of those, Social Network and Zodiac, are on Netflix. And I think mm-hmm. you can watch seven on HBO Max. But yeah, man, you're, you're just hurting yourself. You're just hurting yourself. Dude, I know it. And like even, yeah, Zodiac was the other one. I like Gyllenhaal. Why haven't I watched it? But everybody likes Gyllenhaal. But still, like, yeah, it's too funny. I I, I definitely am excited for Mank. I, I think Netflix does a good job of... I say this and I kind of eat my words because then the following weekend they put out something that's trash or trashy. But Netflix does a pretty good job when it comes to like their oscar season their their um award season months i mean we had roma then we had irishman and now we have mank and, and it's like they just every year it's like you're looking forward to that netflix subscription paying off with a really good just dr- long-running opera style drama um because irishman is just 
so rich. I'm so sorry, Kieran. I haven't watched Roma yet. I literally was going to see it in theaters and then I missed it. And then I was like, well, it's going to be on Netflix. And then it was on Netflix. And I said, well, I guess I can watch it whenever. And I still haven't watched it. <laughs> so I, I'm so I'm so bad, you, dude. You're not missing anything. Oh, you you're didn't like Roma. With Roma. Ah. Not, not a big fan of Roma. You know, but, you know, and that's that's going to happen when you're dealing with kind of these auteurs do, yeah. do, doing their big movies, you know. And, and Melvin, you had mentioned how Netflix has had this consistent Netflix slate, if we want to call it, you know, Oscar slate towards the end of the year, the past two to three years. And the one thing that really stuck out to me about those was how these are all passion projects and they're usually pretty tough passion projects to get made. Have you noticed that? Have you seen, you know, whether it's The Irishman or The Five Bloods from uh, Spike Lee, you know, these these movies are, I, I don't think they'd get made without the help of Netflix's deep pockets. Do you think something like Mank or The Irishman or, you know, anything like that gets made without Netflix? No, I don't think so. I and you know it's interesting because we're kind of talking about Netflix's deep pockets and willingness to do these big projects during a time where Netflix's kind of cultural atmosphere is shifting. So Netflix is always known for or had been known for being the place that if you wanted to do your really creative passion project and reach a huge audience it was you would go to netflix and if they picked it up you had that and that was a big deal i mean that's why you like when you scroll through the backlog of netflix originals from like i'll say like i guess 2013 is when house of cards came out I'm trying to think when the first original were originals were um but even that is an amazing uh story in in entertainment history to look up but um from like 2013 i'll say to 20 18 i'll say 2018 that time period if you look at the originals there's some weird originals and not like bad weird i'm just saying like things you would never think to see and then they do well um and they end up being successful and really engaging i mean even the way that they've treated television series in the in the vein of like hbo style where it's like here's this long running series we're going to toss a lot of money at knowing that people will be heavily engaged in it. Cause like Sopranos was like a decade and a half ago, two decades ago. And that was like what you would be seeing now on Netflix, which is a long running, deeply rich narrative. So what, what am I getting at? Well, I'm getting at this idea that like we're seeing a shift to probably Netflix is letting the big dudes do whatever they want, such as a Martin Scorsese or an Alfonso Coron or, or even um, Spike Lee. But even there, there's actually some contention if you read about the history of behind Defy Bloods. They're really throwing a lot of money and commitment to them. And then you see that a lot of the TV shows that are more niche are pretty much getting canceled without an ending. I'm trying to think. There's there's the OA, which got canceled. And like it was a huge cliffhanger in its second season, I think I read. So much so it was actually devastating to a lot of people because they really love that show. We just saw I Am Not Okay With This get canceled. And if anyone's watched that show, probably not because our demographic probably doesn't like that show. But it ends on a huge cliffhanger and it got canceled. And part of that's COVID. But like it's still like something that you're like, whoa, really? And it, it's because I think they're putting the money into 
a Scorsese or a Fincher. And like, like you, like you, you, I think you wrote this down, but you didn't put it in, but I'll, I'll draw it out on our, from our show notes. You mentioned that like David Fincher has had a long running relationship with Netflix at this point. I mean, two seasons of Mindhunter and they cost so much money to make, which is probably why we're not going to see a season three anytime soon. And even his films are on there and they're no doubt doing really well. And I think that's because they're really investing in these big names as opposed to just, I don't know, dogpiling money into content because they don't they have content already. They have three, four, three seasons of Stranger Things that people are just going to rewatch anyway. So they don't they don't need to do more seasons. I don't know. What do you think about that? I mean, that kind of goes off a little bit. But just this idea of Netflix's cultural shift, maybe being more focused on big name directors as opposed to building up. I don't know, more independent stuff. What do you think about that? I think we can tie it back into this. You know, Fincher was the first guy really to to partner with a streaming service like this back in, you know, 2012 or 2013, whatever House of Cards did come out. You know, and that's the crazy thing. Like, he, you know, this this proponent of, of, of movie making and, and really, like I said earlier, one of the Mount Rushmore guys of, of his generation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was the guy who began the... the the uh, streaming TV boom um, and and really made House of Cards a must-watch show. And it was his talent behind the camera that um, elevated it and, and brought in, you know, guys like Kevin Spacey. and, and Pre-disaster Kevin Spacey, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. His, his talent at that, you know, everybody knew him as incredibly talented. And so... Uh, until they didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still talented, <laughs> yeah. just not a great guy. Yeah. But um, as we know now, so... But I think it's interesting to see, you know, it's kind of like the culmination of his relationship with Netflix and that he's... he's He's done a lot for them and and more than mm-hmm. him making a show like House of Cards or Mindhunter is going to yield, I, I, I mean, I would guess longer and, and uh, long, just longer, uh, greater return on their investment over time because that's going to oh, yes. draw people continually. Yeah. And, and something like Mank, it seems like is like a one for him. You know, he did one for them and Mank is, you know, this passion project, again, written by his father. So there's yeah, that that's sweet. kind of emotional element in there. Uh, who, who died? His father, who died in 2003, wrote it before he died, and you know, it it really does seem like you know he gave he he did one for them, and now they're doing one for him, you know, and uh, mm-hmm. it, with with something that you know I think has a shot at winning Best Picture this year, but also has a shot of alienating a lot of Netflix's subscriber base because you know who know like the the average Netflix watcher knows nothing about Citizen Kane or the the story behind it, you <laughs> so know, it's true. like. It's it's really kind of a, a very niche uh, market that this film is going for. So, well, I mean, even go back to the beginning of the year when Netflix got Uncut Gems on its service, it was in the top ten for like a week, <laughs> and then it was gone. And and Uncut Gems is a really strange movie, but that's kind of the point because like Mank looks like it's going to be strange in terms of normal viewership, general audience. I mean, even in in theaters, Uncut Gems in terms of general audience didn't go well because there's sort of the catch 22 of it's an Adam Sandler movie, but it's not an Adam Sandler movie, (laughs) but yeah, uncut gems was in for like a week uh, on the top 10 on Netflix. And then it was replaced with like, uh, I'm not going to name the movie, but it was a really, really vile, (laughs) um, sexually provocative film for several weeks. Actually, that was up there. Real, real shame in terms of sin doing what it does 
so much. And, and it just makes me think like Mank will come out and be on the top 10 for maybe like a week or two and then go right back into the recesses of for cinephiles is going to be great. But for general audience, Netflix users is going to be, I think, like you said, just a really hard sell to be worthwhile there. Now, I guess $14 subscription, because I think it just went up a dollar, right? 14 or $15. It, it, it did. It might be $16. I could be wrong, but I, th- I thought it was at 15 before. And then if they raised it, it'd probably be at 16. But yeah, I think it's also, you know, they've lost a lot of subscribers recently. I mean, they're, they did report a, uh, a loss in subscribers in this past quarter. I think that's interesting because I know the first two quarters were killer. The first two quarters were killer. Explosive. The, the only reasons that were given were, you know, the controversy surrounding cuties. Yeah, rightfully so. Rightfully so. Which makes total sense. And it at the same time, it's it's tough for me to still understand how that could be a net loss for them because with with everybody at home, you would think, okay, there's, you know, that is going to, you know, my parents are thinking about uh, getting rid of their Netflix subscription because of that, you know, and it, you know, but that's not going to affect everybody or it's not, you know. Right. It, it's one of many factors. I mean, I'm even exactly. thinking just the fact that Disney Plus's shows are actually going to come out now because nobody had a reason to watch Disney Plus and now Mando's starting and then WandaVision will be soon. And I think their show, The Right Stuff or their interpretation of The Right Stuff, I think actually just started. I can't remember. So Disney Plus basically just has content that people are like, well, if I'm not going to use Netflix right now, I might as well go to to Disney Plus. So I, that makes sense to me, especially in terms of Mank just being a strange film. I think I think at the very least it'll be if it does well with the Oscars, kind of like you're mentioning it'll be more of an investment bid that like, Hey, look, we keep making movies that people love and the Oscars keep winning them. Give us money, please. <laughs> it, it's one thing that I've, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Netflix, but it's one thing I've really loved about them is that they've, they have invested in these, you know, passion projects of these directors, yes. especially something like the Irishman. It's like, that's never going to get made in the studio system. It's too expensive, too, too costly to, to justify the price, but Netflix, they have the ability to do so. So, Thankful for them in that way and really interested to see what happens here. I mean, this I, I do believe there's a good shot, Melvin, that this could be the first Netflix Best Picture winner, which would be which would kind of I thought Roma got Best Picture. No, uh Green Book won Best Picture that year. Roma won uh Best Director. Uh, yeah, so Roma won uh, Roma didn't Roma was favored, but Green Book actually won. So it, you know, it it'd, it'd be interesting for the first win, uh for the first year that a streaming service won to be in the year like in a year like 2020 where streaming has really been the only option for most of the year. Really the king, the true king was streaming, yes. Exactly. That makes total sense. That or American Pickle. Maybe American Pickle will steal that best film, best picture. <laughs> to close second. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, man. So our next movie, I, I just had to send Daniel a message. I'm sure a lot of listeners are missing Daniel because he hasn't been on the show, but things have just been so busy he hasn't been, been able to get on. But he was not too busy to send us a voice clip to introduce Jiu-Jitsu. So we're going to let that play right now. Hello, Melvin and uh, Carter. So yeah, Melvin asked me to record my feelings and thoughts on the Jiu-Jitsu trailer, a film starring the one and only Nicolas Cage, sort of, as is the case of a lot of recent films that quote-unquote star Nicolas Cage. He's not so much the star as a supporting actor. 
but he is probably the biggest name actor in the film, so it makes sense that they put him front and center. So anyway, as soon as this movie was announced, and as soon as the first trailer came out, Melvin and I both simultaneously, separate from one another, had the same thought, which is, this is the movie for you, Dan. This is secretly, I think Melvin thinks I like might have like ghost wrote the movie and produced it, and that, that's why I haven't been on the podcast is because I'm making my dream film, which is a movie about jujitsu starring Nick Cage. But that is unfortunately not the case. It is just God has seen fit to bless me with such a wonderful gift. So my quick thoughts on the trailer. Uh, first thing for anyone who is a martial arts fan, it should be noted that this isn't a movie about. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, or else this would be just a movie about a bunch of people rolling around on the ground with each other. This is more closely associated to the Japanese martial art of jujutsu, which, uh, funnily enough, Alan Mousy, the star of the film, is actually, like I think, some sort of degree of black belt in that particular martial art, like very far, like something ridiculous, like fourth or fifth dan or something like that. Uh, but really, I mean, it's called jujitsu uh, because it's based on a graphic novel apparently from a few years ago that no one has heard of that i can see but really this is a martial arts film i mean they could have called it kung fu the movie they could have called called it like kempo karate the movie but really it's just about a bunch of people kicking and flailing and jumping and uh, doing flips which is really what you want out of a movie like this um the premise looks absolutely ridiculous I've watched the trailer probably like 10 or 15 times, and I'm still not entirely sure what the plot of the movie is. But apparently there's some sort of comet that causes a portal to open up, and an alien comes through, and they want to fight somebody in jujitsu. Okay, whatever. And apparently this version of jujitsu involves shooting shurikens out of like gun mounts on your hand, like you're some sort of ninja version of Deadshot or something. Whatever. But that's none of that matters. What matters is you get to see a bunch of actors fight each other and Nick Cage gets to talk about aliens and martial arts. Uh, speaking of which, though, this movie has a strangely star-studded cast for this type of movie. So first off, before I get to the cast, the director is a guy named Dimitri Logothetis. I'm destroying his last name, who isn't very well known, except he resurrected the Kickboxer franchise, which is one of those things that I am very excited about. I'm guessing a lot of other people we pumped about, but uh, Kickboxer was an old like martial arts, low-budget franchise starring Jean-Claude Van Damme uh, in the 90s initially, and then like a lot of these direct-to-video martial arts franchises went after the first movie came out. They kept the franchise going without Van Damme. But they resurrected it with Alan Mousy playing the uh, Kurt Sloan character. But Van Damme came back as like the mentor figure. And those movies are tons of fun. They're fun martial arts movies, no frills, very simplistic, formulaic. Dave Batista is like the villain of the first one, which is really awesome. Uh, George St. Pierre, one of the greatest mar uh, mixed martial artists of all times in the first one. But they're fun movies. And so unsurprisingly, that guy who did those movies is back for jujitsu. And he brought along not only star Alan Mousy, but also the fight and stunt choreographer of his movies in this one. So I'm excited. But outside of him, you also have Frank Grillo, who a lot of people know as... Uh, crossbones in the Mar uh, MCU films. He himself is a black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, but also he's carved out see, in secret from American audiences his career as like this movie star in a lot of Chinese films, which makes sense that this movie appears to be made with the global box office in mind, particularly Chinese audiences. So Frank Grillo is here. Juju Chan is also in this movie, who again, not a lot of people will know her, but she's also a big star in China. I know her from a really low-budget movie called Fist of the Dragon, which was uh, produced by B-movie uh, master Roger Corman. Not a great movie, but she's really great. She's trained at a bunch of... She actually was on the, I think, the Olympic Taekwondo team or something like that. 
And then, of course, you have Tony Jaa, Ong Bak, the, Thai, the Muay Thai warrior, who, if you love action movies, you know this guy. He was in the Fast and Furious movies. He was in Triple X. But more importantly, he was in the Ong Bak and the Protector movies. He's awesome. And then, of course, you have the one and only Nick Cage. So as you can tell by the fact I'm geeking out about all these people, um, I am a fan of this genre. I'm a fan of these types of movies. I like the fact that there's aliens doing martial arts, which is such a low budget kind of thing to do. Like, I don't know if you watch a lot of like CW comic book shows or anything like that, but a lot of like TV shows will have people superpowers, but for some reason, rather than have them shooting lasers at each other, because that's expensive, they usually will just do like, everyone just does karate <laughs> for some reason. And that definitely have those vibes here uh, with a little bit of a higher budget. But this is a, this is a great cast. Uh, Rick Yoon is in this movie, who is the lead actor in Man with the Iron Fists. If anyone remembers when Riza for the Wu-Tang Clan made a big kung fu movie with Tarantino and um, Eli Roth producing. So this movie looks like a ton of fun. It looks stupid and ridiculous in all the right ways. Um, so long as the action scenes deliver, I'll be happy. And so long as we get to see tons of Nick Cage just talking about <laughs> aliens and kung fu, I'll be great. Uh, that'll be great. Another thing that's great is if you watch a trailer, you see all these great shots of people doing cool flips and moves, and then it cuts to Nick Cage just kind of like fighting with a sword. It really reminded me of when Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fight in the first Star Wars movie. And this is before the prequels where you have Yoda like doing a million flips in the air. This is just two old men just sort of lightly touching. It's like two old men fighting with pool noodles, and that's kind of what that lightsaber fight looks like, and that's what it looks like Nick Cage will be like when he fights with swords. I don't know. I'm rambling, but I'm very excited about this. I can't wait to review it on the show. Um, despite my very busy schedule, Melvin and I have had several conversations where like we have to do, do we have to talk about this movie. We have to review it. So I'm really excited. It looks just like the thing we need in this time period. We have a pandemic. We have an election. I want to see Nick Cage help some guy fight aliens with martial arts. And I don't know what else do you need. So hopefully this clip wasn't too long. I hope. Uh, I, I can't wait for this to get played on the on the podcast, and then you guys both talk about how you think it looks stupid and terrible, and then I look like an idiot. And that, so, I hope everyone's doing okay. Uh, bye. I gotta agree with Daniel. This movie looks great, even if he thinks that we were not going to agree with him. I I think it looks fantastic. What do you think, Carter? Yeah, I th I think Dan is is crazy to think that we weren't going to agree with him. I mean, this you know he he mentioned that this movie was a, a blessing from above and i have to say i agree i mean it's it's really a gift <laughs> from the lord i mean it, you know scripture talks about every good and perfect gift is from above and i think that you know this is one of those good and perfect gifts <laughs> that we talk about so i'm i'm really excited for i mean nicholas cage and especially where he is in his career now is uh, is, is something to behold um especially you know, when you're when you're dealing with such a broad title like jujitsu, which could literally mean anything, but yes, and it could be for any any type of movie. I mean, when I, when I heard that, I thought he was just kind of some sensei teaching a jujitsu class, but this is not. You know, there's a lot more to this than just jujitsu. <laughs> I'm sure it's an element of it, but I mean, you got a predator like story, all this stuff. So, all, all that to say, I mean, I it's. It, I really agree with Daniel's sentiment that this is a this is a blessing from above. I it's like what I see in the trailer is what I am going to get. When I watched the Monster Hunter trailer, I did not think I am going to get what it's selling me. In in some cases, I didn't really want what it was selling me on. Um, when I watched <laughs> Mank, I didn't. I don't really know. Like, there's mystery around Mank, right? Like, I don't really know what it's going to be about, and that alone gets me interested. But Jujitsu. 
I know what I'm I know what I'm getting into. I <laughs> just I just want it now. <laughs> but we just gotta wait. Just gotta wait. <laughs> and especially with where Nicolas Cage is in, in his career. I mean, it's just it's almost like, you know, every time Tarantino comes out with a new movie or, or whoever, big director, it feels like that that kind of that level of excitement, it's just in a different on, on, a, on a different plane specifically you know we're not talking about like art that's going to change somebody's life or we are i mean <laughs> who knows? but but it's it, it's a unique um it's it, it's really an event film it's an event in in a different way than other event films are like you know like a marvel movie or whatever but to see nicholas cage with that with that wig you know doing jujitsu it, or whatever he's doing is is a, is an event. <laughs> I'm excited to witness it. It's so funny because like Nicolas Cage often gets a lot of flack, and there's definitely like like basically the 2000s, I would say, and a little bit into the 2010s, he was not doing too well with the scripts he was getting, and then like he was just in a ton of like Redbox movies and stuff. That's not to undermine Redbox, but it's not like they produce the greatest things. I liked Becky this year. That was a Redbox movie. So it's interesting the phases he goes through and we're back at the phase where if Nicolas Cage is in it, I have, we, we've got to see it. It just, it piques my interest and I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's going on the radar. Uh, yeah, I was just going to ask, have you seen some of the stuff he did in the 90s and the directors that he was working with? I know that he was working with a lot of really great directors, but I don't I think I've only ever seen like The Rock, which I think has a Criterion release, and then Con Air, which are just crazy movies as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and Con Air, I think I like more than The Rock just because Con Air is so so bizarre <laughs> but but those are honestly the only uh, only two of the only 90s movies i think i've seen of his it's it's a you know it's a I, I bring it up because it's amazing to see you know he was working with guys like martin scorsese and right uh, you know winning oscars for leaving las vegas you know it's it's just interesting to see i mean there's a reason why his movies still like this one are are still they still Get, get an audience. I mean, he was at one time a, a great actor who really sought out some, some great roles. And it sounds like he's come on hard times recently. And that's why he's been doing these, uh, shall we, shall we call them just more unique movies? <laughs> I think he, I think it's the opposite. I think he loves his job. And so then he's just working all kinds of movies because he just likes being on set. But you know, I don't know. Who know I mean, the only thing that you know, I, where I would disagree with that is if he, if he loved his job, I which I'm sure he does in one aspect. I think he would have wanted to work with better directors or 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 more more prestige work, which we just haven't seen him do. I he mean, had Mandy. He's got Mandy. There's a lot of people who like Color Out of Space. I know there was like two other Cage films in the last few years that did well. Oh well, he's yeah, he he was in Spider Verse. He's done a lot of supporting roles in films that are really big in the last few years, but there is, there is a lot of not good stuff too. He, he needs, <laughs> he needs a Tarantino revival. He needs, you know, something where he, he ends up. Well, in... you got, you got that coming. <laughs> <laughs> the unbearable weight of massive talent, I think is what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, yeah. Which he's is an un unbelievable title. And I think, you know, you, when you watch this jujitsu trailer, you can, you can confidently say, wow, I can't imagine what it would be like to have that kind of talent that, Nicholas Cage has. I mean, it's unbearable <laughs> to think about, yeah. you know, and I think 
you know, watching that, it's it's just it's amazing to see. And I think too that, funny that title of that movie he's doing really fits uh, what he's doing in Jujitsu as well. Oh yeah, and and anybody listening who doesn't know, basically, there's this movie coming called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent, and it is about Nicolas Cage trying to get into a Tarantino film. And it's played by Nicolas Cage. And it's like a fictional story. <laughs> and it's so funny. And that's alongside an announcement that also came out saying he's in a movie about a farmer whose pig gets stolen called Pig. So that also looks great. Um, or just doesn't look great. It sounds great. Basically, though, it's like I said, if Cage is in it, I I already want to watch it. So, so that's where that's where I'm at now, guys. That's just where I am. <laughs> it's just it's what we need at this time oh yeah With everything going on we need a movie like jujitsu so out of these three trailers carter you know monster hunter mank and jujitsu which of the three are you most excited for i mean i think it's it's pretty obvious it's going to be mank um just because one love david fincher he hasn't come out with a movie in six years so just really excited for his return and like i said this is really catnip for cinephiles like like you and me so really excited for that one but also i mean jujitsu which you know i i just hadn't had the time to watch the trailer before you uh turned me on to it it was you know that's something that i'm i'm really looking forward to in a different way you know in a, in a, <laughs> but but still i think you know in a healthy film diet you need a movie like mank you need a movie like jujitsu and then you can just leave a movie like monster hunter out of it yeah put it in the dollar bin <laughs> yeah that's a movie like uh that's like some spoiled food that i would throw away it wouldn't be a part of my diet but what about you melvin jujitsu <laughs> that's it really <laughs> no doubt man i i'm looking forward for my I can't, I can't blame you man I, like here's the thing like i i know i'm gonna like i suspect i'm gonna like mank and i i know that there's mystery around it but i also am like i i know i'm gonna I don't know. There's like a there's like a known quality about Mank, even though there's the mystery to it. Whereas Jujitsu is like, I just I just want to go on that ride. <laughs> so I think I just I think I'm just landing with Jujitsu here. Monster Hunter, I agree with you. I I just I'll see it probably, but like I don't really have an interest in it. And Mank, I have a huge interest in, but Jujitsu, I just I gotta <laughs> see it. Well, man, I'm I'm excited. I'm at least we do have a few movies to be looking out for. I mean. You know, we know Mank is coming out. We know Jiu-Jitsu is coming out because it's coming out on PVOD. And then who knows about Monster Hunter. But, you know, it's it, at least we still got a few movies to look forward to. And, you know, excited to see how the, how the chips fall for the rest of the year. Thanks so much for checking out this episode of Trailer Talk. We hope you enjoyed it. If you enjoyed the show, always feel free to share your thoughts with a review, follow us on social media, check out the Cinematic Doctrine Facebook group, or support us on Patreon and get some sick perks. A special shout out to those who support at the Art House Theater tier on Patreon. Thanks so much, Mom, Dad, Melanie, Shirleyon, and Thomas. You guys are the best, and your continued monetary support means the world to us. All important links will be in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematicdoctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.